Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Sunday mornings with in-house service and worship, and so uh, we have had that since we reopened on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, but we're going to go all three. We're going to just put them all on the table. All right. That is the plan. That is the intention, unless something would change between now and then. Uh, and so we're going to do that. And our our uh, youth class or the students there of uh, Brother Alex Mason's class of 12 and above uh, will have the opportunity to go back to class in their room and it will be up to their parents whether or not your student wears a mask or not a mask in that class but I think there is space in there they'll be able to social distance and have class ages though that's below that mark we're still going to keep you out here just for a little while just a little unsure about you doing this mouth nose ear your neighbor's mouth thing you know so we're gonna we're gonna try to just Wait a little bit, let school get in session, and maybe uh, allow them to help us in a cultural shift. All right? And so uh, just be mindful of that. Uh, we're, we're glad tonight to have the Pierce family from the great state of Louisiana with us. They are, they are currently here, and uh, Brother Pierce is working uh, here in the area, and they will be uh, in this area for a while until into the well into the fall season and 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 sometimes it's according to what happens guys sometimes that turns winter season you know in November so uh, I'm sorry about that I'm sorry about that it's time to go home then isn't it amen but uh, we're glad to have uh, them with us and service with us so please take time to get to know them and their names and uh, they're going to be around here for a while, and we want to just make them feel a part here of the First Apostolic Church home. Amen. Amen. And so we're happy to have them with us tonight. I'm going to be turning to Judges chapter number 12. Judges chapter number 12. And we want to read a few verses of Scripture uh, from Judges 12 here this evening. Amen. Starting with verse number 1. Bible states these words and the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah wherefore passed thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee we will burn thine house upon thee with fire that's quite nice isn't it? and Jephthah said unto them I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon, and when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead, and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim, because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassehites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay, or if he said no, then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. They would control the passage of the Jordan. The, the Gileadites would and would ask them simply a question who wished to go over. Are you an Ephraimite? If they refused to be an Ephraimite, if they, if they said, that's not my identity, 
and they were asked to say a word. And if they did not pronounce the word appropriately, then their life was taken from them because they knew according to their language, their speech, their pronunciation, that they were indeed, contrary to what they said, an Ephraimite. Amen. This evening, I want to minister just a little while along these lines. Pronounce it right. Pronounce it right. Amen. Can we go to the Lord in prayer this evening? We want the Lord's will and His way done here tonight. Father, I come to you tonight. I need you, Jesus, Lord, in this place. Help us, O oh God, to be mindful, Lord, of you, Lord, in your spirit. God, what you would want, what, what you would have, Lord Jesus, in this place, Lord, direct our attention, direct our minds tonight, I pray, O oh God. Help us, O oh Lord, to stand, Lord, in this day. Help us, O oh Lord, to be known, Lord Jesus, to be identified, Father, I pray. God, in this hour, we will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplish. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. The church says amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated tonight. Amen. This is going to start just a little peculiar here this evening. If you guys could put my first slide on the screen here tonight, you may not be able to see that, but the United States of America is predominantly a English-speaking country. We are the largest English-speaking country, and most native speakers of English are United States of Americans, uh, although we fall under uh, the classification of being Americans, there are certain regions across, regions across the United States at times, even states themselves, where there are nuances in our English language from state to state to region uh, to region. I have here before you just some of these things that you may be able to identify with tonight. Sometimes they are great controversies across the United States. For instance, the pronunciation of, in some places, they call it uh, caramel. At other places, it is spoken of as caramel. All right, we have this, this dividing line uh, between the northwest portion of the United States and the south. Uh, also, we, we, we have different areas. You can see the blue and the red denoting some of these different areas that have taken place. There is a divide just based upon how a word is spoken. And then there is the word what I would call crayon, all right? All kinds of pronunciations across the United States. There is crayon, there is crayon, there is crown. Matter of fact, growing up, I think from my mother, I adopted crown. And as I got older, I understood, no, that's crayon. And so sometimes it's not even a state thing, it's a family thing. And so... Uh, all these different pronunciations. Also within the United States, we have these differences. And now that we have the Louisiana folks here, we're probably really going to, not just for you all, but you with us as well. Uh, some of the things that takes place linguistically that divide America. Uh, we have across America, when people want to refer to people, they sometimes they say, and you go to the next slide, they say, you guys. There's people that say, you uns. There's some that say, y'all. There's some that say you all, and, and, and I noticed today that Kentucky was pretty heavy, Brother Mason. I don't know where he just slipped out just conveniently, but pretty heavy with this y'all stuff and you all type of thing. That's different all across America. We also have the word pajamas. Seriously, the word pajamas. I say pajam, right? Pajamas, but others are pajamas. Across the United States, we have these little things. And has anybody ever had a piece of, go on to the next slide, pecan pie? <laughs> Honey, it will be at the family reunion, but it might be a fight before it's all said and done because everybody's fussing over how you say pecan or pecan or pecan. There are so many different variations. All I'm saying is just give me a piece. You know, there's so many type of variations concerning how we say that. And then across the United States as well, uh, whenever you want a, carbon, a carbonated beverage, in some places they're going to say, will you give me a pop? Somebody's going to look for their father and grandfather whenever they say that. Others are saying, could you give me a can of soda? And then some are more brand loyal and they say, I need a Coke. 
when they really might want it a doctor, a diet Dr. Pepper, but Coke is just the umbrella for whatever it was that they were wanting. We have this all across. There is something in peculiar. You can go on to the fourth slide, amen, tonight. There's something uh, peculiar as well in the United States. It's more northeast and the tip of Florida concerning whether you're going to go and jog in your sneakers or your tennis shoes. Primarily throughout most of America, you're going to find tennis shoes. But if you're in the south tip of Florida or over in the northeast, they are going to get their sneakers on. I guess they don't want anybody to know that they're running because they're in their sneakers. So this happens over and over again. I had to throw this one in just for good measure. Whenever we look also at the United States, whenever it rains and the sun is out at the same time, they ask people, do you have a word for that? Most of America does not have a word for that. However, Florida and some other places call it a sun shower. And quite, quite a peculiar, peculiar Alabama and Mississippi. Some people in these regions call it the devil is beating his wife. We have a Mississippian back there that the devil is beating his wife. <laughs> is that right? My goodness, it's in Louisiana too. It's spreading. <laughs> Amen. But we all would classify ourselves as Americans. Yet there are differences in our language, in how we say something that distinguishes us from being up north, from down south, from the east to the west, or from one particular state to another state. Amen. And those differences that we have in pronunciation or in our language, amen, even narrows our group down a little further to a region, to a state, or even maybe a county within the state. It can get as detailed as that. You may just as easily set us aside from the rest of the common population just by the way that we say something or the way that we articulate something with our speech. Most Americans, this is just another one to throw at you, but most Americans will refer to a place where you get water to the public, a drinking fountain or a water fountain. But if you live in Rhode Island and some that live in Wisconsin, call that a bubbler. You have set yourself apart the moment that you say bubbler. Someone says they are from Rhode Island. Or they're from some area of Wisconsin. Because we are known by, identified by, our language and our speech. My wife is from the South. She is from Tennessee. Whenever we are in Tennessee and uh, we are out and about, and my wife, she strikes up a conversation with a rock. Amen. Whoever she strikes up a conversation with will normally ask her, where are you from or what is your name? Usually, what is your name? And she's been up here north long enough. I don't know if she ever did it differently. But in the north, whenever we say her name, we say that her name is Dawn. Those Tennessee folks will look at us a little weird. You have this female having a name, Dawn. They're thinking D-O-N. And then when we see that puzzled look, Dawn says, my name is Dawn, D-A-W-N. And they say, oh, down. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Because we have just been identified then by a language. Amen. It's said differently down south than it is here. Karazam may said this. Language is not simply an assortment of words, but an entity that connects an individual to his family, his identity, his culture, his music, his beliefs, his wisdom. He said without language, no culture can sustain existence. Our language is actually our identity. Someone say amen. The Bible says in our scripture text, in our story here tonight, that Jephthah fought against the Ammonites. He went out against them. He had called for the Ephraimites to come and help him and aid him in his cause. But the Ephraimites were a no-call, no-show type of people. They did not show up for the cause of fighting against the Ammonites. These same people, these Ephraimites, back in Judges 8, 
had did a very similar thing unto Gideon who was judge in that hour. Gideon and a band of his men had went to fight against the Midianites and once again they had called or they had made some type of gesture that the Ephraimites would come but they did not come. It seems to be that the common practice of the Ephraimites were like this. Each time they would show up after the victory had been won. Whenever the dust had settled, whenever the enemies had scattered, they would show up. Each time when they showed up, whether it was to Gideon or to Jephthah, they would show up complaining about not being called to help, not being called to aid in the battle. Whenever they spoke those type of words to Gideon, Gideon looked at them and he took the low road and he began to pacify them for praising them for things that they had done that was greater in comparison to what Gideon had done or his band of men had done. Amen. But Jephthah, whenever the Ephraimites came to him and said, you didn't even call us to battle. Amen. Jephthah didn't take the route of Gideon. He didn't take the low road. He didn't praise them for some other accomplishment that they had done. He basically told them, hey guys, he said, I did call for you. I did cry out to you, but none of you ever answered me. The Ephraimites were so upset, amen, because they missed the quote-unquote battle that they told Jephthah, said, we're going to burn down your house because you've accused, amen, us of hearing the call and not answering the call. Jephthah knew quite well them not coming did not have anything to do with not being called. He just knew that it seemed like the history of these people is that they just lost their desire to fight. Amen. The Bible tells us that Jephthah was a Gileadite. He was a descendant of Manasseh. Gideon was of the tribe of Manasseh. The Ephraimites, of course, were of the tribe of Ephraim. If you remember the Old Testament Bible story in the book of Genesis, there were two brothers. One was Manasseh. The other one was Ephraim. They were related they were kin. They were brothers. Jephthah is from a line of, if you will, Ephraimites and Manassehites, just as Gideon was. In many instances, all of these people, whether it was Jephthah or Gideon or the Ephraimites, all these people are related in some way. They're connected in their family tree in some way. They were a nation of Israel in some respect. Amen. But there were nuances within their language. Amen. They, they claimed to be of the same nation. They claimed to be of the same family, but there were nuances in their language. Jephthah, along with the Gileadites, fought against the Ephraimites, the Bible says, because they did not come when they were called and Jephthah wasn't backing down. The Bible says that the Gileadites smoked the Ephraimites and the Gileadites took control of the Jordan River, a passage of the Jordan River. The remaining Ephraimites that were not slaughtered in that battle decided they were going to get on back home. But in order to go home, they were going to have to cross the Jordan River where the Gileadites, the Gileadites, that's hard to say, amen, were guarding and protecting the passage. As they would approach the passage, there was a Gileadite standing there. He would ask the man, because remember, they all come from a similar family. They're all of the nation of Israel. Maybe by eyes alone, it would not be very perceptible who was an Ephraimite, a Manassite, or a Gileadite. And so they would ask him, are are you an Ephraimite? And the Bible says if the gentleman, the person said no, they would then ask them this question in verse 6. They would say unto them, say now Shibboleth. And when they answered Sibboleth, the Bible says, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. They would take that individual and they would slay them and kill them because their speech was telling the story about their identity. 
Their language was telling the story about their identity. That Ephraimite may have looked like a Gileadite or even a Manassite, but there's one thing that's absolutely certain. His language, his tongue, his speech identified who he really was. In other words, that Ephraimite could stand there and deny his identity and say, no, I'm not an Ephraimite, but he could not deny his language. Oh, someone say hallelujah. His identity in many regards was tested and revealed by his language. The word that they were asked to say was the same for whoever it was that came to the river. Whether they were Manasseh or Ephraim or Gilead, the word would have been the exact same. But how they said it varied from a Manasseh person to a, amen, to a Ephraimite to a Manasseh person. But in the pronunciation of the word was the identity of the person. Can someone say glory? glory? Give me a little time here. And so the word in the Old Testament is shibboleth. That word is in our English dictionaries today. Go home, look it up. It is in our English dictionaries today. It's become a part of English vocabulary, but it has a different meaning than the original root that it did in Hebrew years ago. Today, in our English dictionaries, when you look up the word shibboleth, it means any word, doctrine, form, or fashion which whether we will or know, whether rightly or wrongly, justly or unjustly, we are required to pronounce or agree to as a test in short, which is intended to try on whose side we wage war, whose knowledge we, whose leadership we acknowledge, whose dominions we belong to. In other words, it's to describe today whose side you are on. By your doctrine, your speech, your relationships. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Your form, your fashion. Someone say yes. We are identified by our language. Folks, this is just not something that is a human phenomenon. This is something that God has carved inside of nature. Amen. I've got turned on to a new little podcast by National Geographic called Overheard. It's stories that they overhear in the office at National Geographic. And so I'm kind of, I really like it here lately. Amen. I think there's some sermon material on some of this stuff. But nonetheless, there are 90 different, amen, known whale species in the world. When you say you've seen a whale, well, what kind of whale have you seen? Huh? 90 different species of whales in the world. We've heard of killer whales. You've heard of humpback whales. There's orca whales. There are sperm whales. And the list goes on. I'm not going to list all 90 for you, okay? Just look it up. But within these different whale groupings, there is distinct, according to scientists, whale culture that takes place within these different groups. For instance... Clicking patterns of sperm whales are distinct between the different groups. Researchers refer to them as dialects. Those whales, sperm whales, who share the same dialects, feed together, take care of each other's young, and they steer clear of other sperm whale groups nearby who are not speaking their same language. In other words, they hear a sperm whale over here clicking, and he says, that sounds like my people. That sounds, I, I can entrust them with my young. They can feed my young. We can feed together, swim together. But if it sounds different than the way that I click, They've identified themselves as a different group. Nature itself is telling us that we are identified by our language. Oh, yes. Someone say amen. Our language identifies us. The Bible records the story of Matthew 26 and verse 69. Jesus is on trial. Amen. Try to be crucified. Amen. He is in those trials that's leading up to that. And the Bible says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou 
also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied the oath. I do not know the man. But the Bible says in verse 73, and after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath. Many times I've misread that, for betrayeth. But it says, thy speech hath bereath thee, which in the Greek means thy speech has manifested thee, has evidenced thee, has made thee certain. In other words, Peter was saying, no, I'm not one of them. I'm not with them. That's not me. Deny, deny, deny. But he couldn't deny his language. And his language told his I. His language told his identity. Evidently, after that whole episode, Peter didn't care to be who he was and what he had been called to be because the Bible tells us in Acts 3 that Peter and John was on the way to temple at the hour of prayer, and they were met by a man that was lame at the gate called Beautiful, and they met him, and that guy was expecting to receive something, but Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and his ankle bones and legs got strength and he began to walk and this got the attention of the council and the council called in Peter and John and they said by what name or by what power have you done these things and when they asked Peter Peter started to tell them it was by the name of Jesus Christ that this man that was lame from birth has got up and walked and the Bible says in verse 13, now when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John, the word boldness there means when they saw Peter's all-outspokenness. It's not talking about what he did, but what he had to say. The Bible says that they said these men, they took knowledge of them because they had been with God. Oh, someone say amen. Yeah, there was the evidence of the miracle and that was a great wonder and a great sign. But when the council questioned and Peter took liberty about what took place and about invoking the name of Jesus, Peter was identified as being with Jesus because of what he had to say. Can I tell you tonight? That our, again, I want to drive it home, that our identity is tied to our language. Did not the Jews, Bishop in Acts chapter number 10, identify the Gentiles as being born again? Amen. Speaking that God gave the Gentiles the like gift as he gave the Jews. And later, Peter even attested to the fact that God put no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, how is all of that? Because they spoke the same language. The Bible says as Peter spoke the word that the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And verse 46 of Acts 10 said, for they heard them speak with tongues. What are you saying? Their language identified them. They're not Jew and Greek. They're not barbarian. They're a child of God. They Oh, someone say yes. They were identified by their language. Years ago, mark me if I'm wrong, but I'm old enough to know. Years ago, they called them tongue talkers. Why? Because they were known by their language. Honey, you don't have anything to be ashamed about when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you begin to speak in another tongue, a heavenly tongue. Honey, it's just showing forth your identity. It's showing forth who you are. It's showing forth who you belong to. It's showing... 
I wish we could in this hour more than ever before, somebody would pronounce it right. Somebody would just let it flow effortlessly from their bodies, from their mouths, from their lives. Amen. They heard them speak with tongues. They magnified God. Said there's no difference between them and us. They got the like gift, as we do. I was just talking to some guys that I mentored this week, and we kind of talked a little bit again about the word conversation in the New Testament Scripture. It amazes me whenever I really think about it in lieu or in, in, with the mind frame of this particular message tonight. Now, all throughout the New Testament Scriptures, whenever you read in our English Bibles the word conversation, it means that mostly in the Greek life or lifestyle. When you see the word conversation in the New Testament, it covers the whole of a man's walk in life. His going out, his coming in, his behavior, his conduct. What are you saying? His life or identity is known by his conversation, his way of life, the way that he turns and goes and responds is all again, his language is identifying him. They say, linguists and such that study languages, they say it only takes one generation to lose fluency in a language in order for it to die. One generation. They say, if you want to kill a language that's already in jeopardy, then change the people's names that belong to the language group. Because if the name is alive, the language is alive. We have an Old Testament account in Daniel. We know them more so by their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That there should tell you the influence. That the church knows them by the Babylonian name. When their Jewish names, their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. See, whenever they went and were carried away unto Babylon, the Babylon, the Babylonian people wanted and desired to change their name. They had three simple little courses that they wanted to take them through. They wanted them to learn the language and the education of the Chaldeans. They were in Babylon, but the Chaldee, when you hear Chaldee, that's their culture. Wanted them to learn the language of the Chaldeans. Wanted them to eat the king's meat. Wanted them to partake of things that they would not ordinarily partake of. But in addition to that, they were going to change their name. See, whenever a name is assigned to an individual, particularly for the Hebrew that we have in Scripture, when a name is assigned to an individual in the same language as their original name, it usually will reflect some type of new role for that person. It will usually reflect some type of purpose for that individual. Like Abram being changed to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah. Amen. Jacob to Israel. But whenever a new name is given in a different language. When a new name is given in a different language from the previous one. It may indicate the desire to give that individual a new identity. In order for them to forget who they were before. But if we start looking at the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for that matter also Belshazzar, who was known formally as Daniel. We look at Daniel, and his name means God is my judge. You notice something in the Old Testament. You have these L's and these Y's that are entering the names of God's people over and over again because that L is denoting God and those Y's, amen, Yahweh, amen, taking place. And so Daniel is God is my judge. Hananiah is Jehovah is gracious. Michelle is who is like 
God. Azariah is Jehovah is my helper. You don't want those type of names floating around Babylon because everybody, every time someone says Daniel, they are bringing in God into the picture. Every time somebody says Hananiah, they're bringing Jehovah into the picture. Jehovah is gracious, who is like God. Jehovah is my helper. They want to change the name. Because if we can change the name, perhaps we can change their culture. If we can change their name, perhaps we can change their identity. If we can change their name, perhaps the language will get lost. They were very intentional about this. The names that were given to them were Babylonian names, each meaning, amen, of their names incorporating one of the gods, plurality, pagan gods of the Babylonian people. Amen, Belshazzar means Baal protect the king. Baal was a god of Babylon. Shadrach means a coup. Amen. The command of a coup. A coup was a god of Babylon. Amen. Meshach is who is what a coup is. Again, a god of Babylon. Abednego is servant of Nago, which is called Nebo, a god of vegetation. And so where their names once represented, amen, things concerning characteristics, attributes, mindset, toward the God of Israel. Now they come to Babylon. Their name is changed and it's given, if you will, some tribute to the gods of Babylon. Folks, I'm here to tell you right now, as an apostolic, as a Pentecostal, here until the Lord comes, whatever we do, we're going to do all in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray in that name, cast out demons in that name. We're going to take on that name in baptism because as long as the name lives, the language lives. The identity lives. Our identity is tied to that name and that experience. It's important then for me to take his name in baptism. It's causing a language and identity he meant to pulsate on for another generation. Amen. There are some bilingual homes in America that use the language of their birth at home. Some use English, their second language really, at home. But what they will many times attest to is this, is that the English language helps them navigate where they live. Because they may be living in America. They're bilingual. Let's say they came from Mexico. Or let's say they came from Spain. Maybe they know Spanish and maybe they know English. They'll attest to the fact that the English language while living in, 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 in America helps them navigate where they live. He said, but I've read reports and stories that there are other people that are bilingual here in America who fall back to their native tongue when they are home with their children among their family. Because they want those kids to know that are growing up in their home that their actual homeland is somewhere else from where they're presently living. In other words, they live in America, but their roots are not in America. What are they doing? They're saying, I want to make sure you know how to pronounce it right. Amen. I'm from the land from which we have come. Can I tell you today, we are not of this world. We at our best are pilgrims and strangers. We live here, we work here, we bury our old here, we birth our young here, but somebody in the confines of their house in the church still need to be speaking the mother tongue, letting those know around us that we just live here. This is not where our roots are. This is not where we're headed. I am a citizen of another country. If we don't watch ourselves, we be, we'll be submersed in an environment that will start adopting the language of where we're living more than the language of where we're going to live forever. We'll adopt the language of where we are and it will more fluidly roll off our tongue and we'll have the, the accentuations and the accents upon that language and we'll start to forget the language, amen, that we were birthed by. 
I'm here to tell you today, we must not, we cannot forget the language by which we were birthed by. Honey, if I can't say it right here in this world, who cares? As long as I got the heavenly language right and the culture right and the identity right, I want to pronounce it right. Abraham looked for a city whose hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God, and admitted that those like him were nothing but pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Peter even clarifies in 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. He said, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You know what he's saying? He's saying, this is where you're living, but this is not where we're from. And so don't get too attached to what's around you. Hallelujah. Because when you're a stranger, you know how it is. Go somewhere. Me and my wife traveled for years evangelizing. Whenever I preached different places, people thought I had an accent. It was normal to me, Brother Mason. But it sounded different to them because of their region and where they were. But whenever I would speak and I wasn't from there, they would say, you're not from here, are you? Because I didn't sound like everybody else in their area. Honey, it isn't going to hurt my feelings one bit if this world looks at Paul McGee and says, you're not around from around here, are you? No, I'm not from around what what caught me? Was it the way I pronounced some things? Do you hear what I'm saying? Is it the way that I let some things flow off my tongue? Can I not get it quite? Oh, hear me today. I want to pronounce it right for the things that concern the things of heaven, the things that be of God. There is a movement today, and it will slip on into the church if we would allow it, and that is the blending of Christian beliefs, the blending of Christian practices with those of dominant cultures that are around us in our world, so much so that Christianity loses its distinctiveness, amen, and speaks with a voice rather reflective of its culture. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know where he ever told me to blend in, but he did tell me to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I don't see where he ever told me to dilute it, water it down, gray it over. Yeah, yeah, but it is still holy, unholy, clean, unclean. That somebody needs to pronounce it right. Amen. Huh. Church don't need to be picking up any accents. Just because we've been living here for so long. Somebody needs to be rehearsing the mother tongue. In the church and in the home. Because mm. they're not going to how to form it on their lips. If somebody's not forming it on their lips within the home. <sighs> Listen to me again, folks. The Ephraimites, I got to hurry to The Ephraimites were part of the same family as Jephthah and Gideon. The word was presented the same. Whomever came to the river Jordan. The Bible says, the Ephraimites couldn't frame to pronounce it right. Quote, unquote, same family. Quote, unquote, same nation. But some could pronounce it right. And others couldn't pronounce it right. Oh, hear me today, folks. I love everybody, and I love everybody in the Facebook world. But ask the religious world about baptism. How do you say it? And there's some that's going to pronounce it differently on their lips about what it means, what it is, and what it does. 
differently than what I read the Bible says it does. It is more than a confession of faith. It is not a simple sign that you're joining the church. But when you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is for the remission and the removal of your sins. We need to pronounce it right. Ask them about being saved. And there will some be able to tell you, I can't even tell you when I know that I got saved. But I will tell you, I know the exact moment that I got saved because I spoke in other tongues as the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that's going to resurrect my body someday. That spirit called... There are a lot of labels going out there. You might be in Texas, but there might be different dialects in Texas. And they might call everybody Christian. But I'm here to tell you, some of us has different pronunciations than others. And we need to pronounce it right. Amen. Someone say yes. Ask them about grace. There are some pronunciations of grace that's no different than Paul in the Galatian scripture and some of the others that said, should I keep on sinning, sinning so grace may abound? In other words, they were using grace as an umbrella and a license to do whatever they wanted to do and God would accept them. That's not grace. Got to frame it upon our tongue. Ask them about hell. There's a lot of different ideas. Amen. Going around about hell. Ask them about the word election. You're going to get so many different, uh, amen, defining things coming about. Ask them if a person can backslide. Ask them if a person can fall from grace. We got to we got to frame it right. we got to pronounce it right. You understand with me? I'll come to a close. I'll try. I really will. Pastor McGee, does that make a difference? It did for the Ephraimites. Absolutely. Because when you denied the language... You miss the identity. Whenever Isaac was an old man and his eyes had grown dim, had he paid attention to the voice of the boy that was entering there with animal skins upon his hands and the back of his neck that belonged to his brother Esau? Had he paid attention to the voice? He would have deduced correctly what was approaching him. He even says in Genesis, Jacob is coming in. He's expecting Esau to come back. He has sent Esau out to get the venison. Make it like he likes it, that savory meat, and bring it in. But Jacob is coming in. He's gotten a, a domesticated goat. While Esau was out there trying to get a deer from the field. That's a whole other thing we could talk about someday. When you're offering what's come from the foe rather than the field. And, and he's coming in. Jacob's coming in. Mom has helped him out. and He's got then all the goat skins because Esau was a man of the, of the field. And, and Jacob, he's, he's a man of the tent. He's coming in. He's got the goat, the, 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 the skins upon him. He's made the savory meat just as it would be so. Isaac even says you have the smell of the earth upon you. This has to be Esau. But the word plainly says, Jacob, I, Isaac said, the, ja the voice is the voice of Jacob's. But the hands are the hands of Esau. If he had just stayed with the language, because the language does not lie concerning the identity. It doesn't lie concerning the identity. I want to get the language right. Oh, there's feelings that have come and went. Huh? But what, what, what does it sound like? Is it being pronounced right? 
language identifies us. And the name, as it lives, the language will live. I want it applied in every area of my life. I want to pronounce it right. If we embow our heads in this place tonight. We live in a temporal world. We live in a temporal environment. Our houses are going to fail. Our cars are going to fail. Our money's going to fail. These bodies we're currently living in going to fail. It's all going to fail. But what language are you speaking right now? Are you speaking the language of where you live? Or are you speaking the language of where you were born? here's the fact of the matter we're all on the verge somewhere along the way of crossing over Jordan and it's not what we say we are that's going to matter it's how we frame it upon our lips that's going to identify us our conversation our lifestyle our conduct our behavior they're all going to come to bear whether or not we are pronouncing it right According to heaven's standard. If there's anybody in this place tonight that wants to find a place to pray, this altar is open this evening. Brother McGee, I want, I want to pronounce it right. I don't, I don't want to somehow be, be sucked into the accent, if you will, of the world around me. No, 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 no. I want to be that pilgrim. I want to be that stranger. I want to be, Lord, I want to be Pastor McGee speaking that mother tongue in my home and in the church. I, I want to be identified by my language. And I want to be a language that's the language of heaven, the language of something that is eternal, something that surpasses where I currently live and where I'm presently at. I am a citizen of another country, Pastor, and I want to speak the language of the country that I am longing for for the country I wish to go to. These altars are open tonight as Brother and Sister Mason sing. Let's be mindful of the Lord right now. Would somebody pronounce it right tonight? Would somebody pronounce it right? Frame it upon your lips. Speak the language of heaven. Hallelujah. Have the name upon you. Don't let them change that. Don't let them alter that. Don't let them toy with that. Let that name be, be undiluted, undefiled. Let it be pure, holy, and consecrated. Don't let that change. We don't want to lose fluency in any generation. We don't want a language, a man of the church of heaven. We don't want that to die out because somebody sowed out. We want to speak it correctly. We want to pronounce it right. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.